Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack, and we are back with our monthly Ask Austin Anything episode for July 2022. Now, if you're not familiar with these, every single month, I grab questions from you and everybody else who listens to the podcast, and I pick a couple to answer live right here on these episodes. So if you want me to answer one of your burning questions about career, side hustles, entrepreneurship, anything else, head over to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. That's the letter A three times and submit your question. And I will review it and try to work it into one of our future episodes. For today's episode, we have five awesome questions that span a variety of topics. We have a little bit of an emphasis on branding. So if you're into that, this is going to be the episode for you. But we also touch on interviewing and mental health and a couple of other things here. So I'm going to lead off with our first question from Trixie, who's asking, you've said you've done a lot of interviewing. Can you share any questions in particular that left your interviewer dumbfounded or shocked in a good way? So I'm so glad that Trixie asked this question because that Q&A portion at the very end of the interview is highly overlooked by most job seekers, but it's actually one of the areas of the interview that you control and you can really use to stand out because the quality of questions that you ask go a long way to show how curious you are and how much expertise you have and how interested you are in this company. So I actually put together a Twitter thread recently where I shared nine unique questions that can help people land more job offers and basically shock their interviewer in a good way. And I just wanna share a couple of them that I found to work really, really well. So the first one is, Fast forward one year and say you're looking back on this hire, what did they do to exceed every expectation? So I love asking this question because it shows that you are invested in the specific outcomes that will make you successful if you get hired. And hire managers love to see that because they love somebody who wants to know exactly what success looks like. They want somebody who is results focused. And this question basically illustrates all of that and not many people ask it. So that's the first one I always like to include in my list. The second one is what is the most unexpected thing you've learned while working here? Now, I absolutely love this question because I think it fits the definition of Trixie's question perfectly. It is a question that most interviewers are not expecting at all, but it's something that tends to shock them in a good way because when we ask them about the most unexpected thing they've learned while working at this company, they don't typically have a canned answer for that. Most people don't ask it. They don't have something just prepared and just something that they can regurgitate. So what ends up happening is they have to come up with something on the spot. And that tends to lead to some really unique stories and some really unique insights about that person, about the team and about the company. So I found that this has led to some really, really awesome conversations either right there in the interview room or afterwards when I send that thank you up email, I can mention this specific thing. And sometimes that leads to a deeper conversation that really gives me more insight into what I'm stepping into here, who these types of people are and what this role is going to be all about. So that is also one of my favorite questions. But those are two that I would absolutely bring with you to every single interview that you go on and then pair them with some other role specific questions that showcase your knowledge, your expertise and the research that you've done at this company. So thank you, Trixie, for an awesome question. And now moving into our second question, we're going to start a little bit of a streak of branding questions here from folks. So Anish asked, how did you come up with your company name, Cultivated Culture? 
And I wanted to include this one for two specific reasons. The first is that I think company names fall under the bucket of items that a lot of people put way too much emphasis on that prevents them from getting started. It's a great way to pretend to play business and procrastinate. And so I want to bring it up for that specific reason and share my personal story with that because I definitely did struggle with it. And the second specific reason is that Forrest, our full-time career coach here at Cultivated Culture, actually asked me this in one of our recent one-on-ones. So I thought that we could share the story here for everybody involved. So cultivated culture, what does that have to do with my business and careers and everything that I do? Well, frankly, the answer is not much. I mean, you could make a a bit of a stretch tie where, you know, culture, company culture, cultivating the company culture, but that's not even really about job searching. So what happened here? Well, basically... I had this idea for the business that I run now. So removing the Cultivated Culture name from the business, you know, basically what we do at Cultivated Culture is teach people how to land jobs without applying online. And I had that business idea after I got my job at Microsoft. I saw a bunch of people come out of the woodwork and send me LinkedIn messages and emails asking me how I did it and asking me if I could share some insights with them. And after the 20th, 25th person asked me and I got on the call with them, I thought maybe there's something here because this seems to be a real pain point for people. So I decided to write this massive blog post that detailed and outlined my entire job search system. You can still find it on our site. It's pinned right to the very top of the blog. It's called How to Land a Job Anywhere Without Applying Online. But I wrote that whole post and then I realized I need a place to house this. I need a website. And if I if I want to have a website, I need to have a name, right? Because I need a domain name and I need a brand. I need a logo. I need all this other stuff. So I sat down and just started writing out every single name that came to my mind that could potentially work for this company. And I wish I still had this list so I could go through all of them. That would be really fun. But a lot of them were just really, really bad. And I was mainly struggling with two things. The first was the fact that every good name I came up with already had the domain taken. So somebody had bought the website domain and that means I couldn't buy it. And it's really hard to have a company when the domain name doesn't match the company name. So that was the first issue. And then the second issue was the fact that I didn't want to box myself just into careers. I didn't know what would become of this online online business. I wanted to create some flexibility in case I wanted to pivot into something else and this didn't work out. So I didn't want to pick a name that basically boxed me into the career space and and I couldn't go anywhere else with it. So that ruled out a whole bunch of really fun names that really tied back to the job search and career space. So I had a list of so-so names and I agonized over it for a week. And then I realized I need to make a decision here because I wasn't able to publish this article. I wasn't able to move forward with any of these ideas that I had because I didn't have this freaking website. So I went to my wife, Lily, and I gave her the list. And I said, which one of these is the best? And she said, I like cultivated culture. And frankly, I thought cultivated culture was the best one on the list too. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to overthink this. I'm just going to go buy the domain, publish the blog post and get moving. And that's exactly what happened. I went and I bought the domain, I published the blog post, I built the website out myself, and then I just started promoting it. And we ended up getting 60,000 views to that article in the first 60 days, which was absolutely insane for a blog that had zero traffic, you know, a couple of weeks before and a business that was just getting started. And that was really what cemented my motivation and my commitment to building this business out and really seeing what we could do there. So the reason that I share that is one, it's kind of a fun story, but two, so many people want to start businesses and they get caught up in all these details that aren't really necessary. So I actually just shared a post about this on LinkedIn where I talked about five things that I didn't need to start cultivated culture that everybody else told me I did need. And that list included a fancy website, an LLC, funding, business cards, all of these things that we think we need in order to establish a business officially, but really we don't need until a little bit further down the line. And the same thing is true with the company name. Now, the company name is a little bit more fun and 
there is a very, very good argument to be made that the company name is your brand and that can have a really big impact. You know, we see the impact of branding everywhere, but I would also argue that you can build a brand around almost anything. I mean, you can look at what I've done with Cultivated Culture, right? We have a couple hundred thousand visitors to the site every month. We have close to 100,000 people on our email list. I have 1.3 million followers on LinkedIn. I'm closing in on 50K followers on Twitter. We built this amazing brand and the name doesn't really matter. I think a lot of people would look at it and say, why is this site called Cultivated Culture? But then they might say, well, the content's pretty good and I'm learning a lot. So I don't really care what it's called after a certain point. I'm just here for the great content. So if you're thinking of starting a business, don't let these small things hold you back. These things that don't really matter and won't really move the needle. Instead, move quickly, land on something, and then just continue on because it's so important to keep that momentum going. It's so important to take action and it's so important to just keep taking steps forward. So Anish, thank you so much for asking this question. The next question comes from Matt and Matt is asking, when you started planning Cultivated Culture, what were some of the things you did to get started? For example, what was your process for creating slash starting your website? So I thought this would be a great piggyback or continuation off of the answer to the last question because what happens when you're ready to get started? Again, you can get caught up in so many of these different things, right? I need a really, really great website or nobody will come find me. Or what if I don't care about a website? What if I just went and got started on a social platform? And so what I'm going to say, first and foremost, if I could give this advice to anybody who's starting out, it's to pick a platform where you think you are uniquely positioned to succeed and to invest in that platform. So you could get started on LinkedIn and your LinkedIn profile could effectively be your website and you could generate clients, you could generate content, you could generate sales and revenues without even having a website. I know plenty of people who have started this way. On the flip side, if you think that your website is going to be the driving force for your business, let's say that you have a SaaS company or your plan is to grow through SEO and organic search, then absolutely go out there and build a website, right? But don't spend a lot of money on that website just yet because when you're starting out, it's so important to validate your idea. And it's also really important to be really careful with your money. So my recommendation would be to go build the website on your own try to get a minimum viable product or an MVP if you're working with a SaaS tool or something along those lines, put it out there and then wait to invest until you validated the idea. So for me, the Cultivated Culture website when I started looked horrible. The design was super poor. I had weird color choices, weird font choices. There weren't any, there wasn't really any rhyme or reason. And that was because I built it myself. I'm not a designer. I don't have a design background. I'm not really good at this stuff. But I had an idea, I had a message, and I had some value that I thought I could share. And that's really what won out. You know, we grew the website to over 100,000 visitors a month using that old, crappy, poorly designed website. And it wasn't until a couple of years into the business when we had some real money coming in that I paid somebody to actually upgrade the website and design it professionally. So when you're starting out, the most important thing is to start small, to start with what's easy and to just get started and not worry about all of these, you know, professional looking things that cost a lot of money. So for me, you know, my story was what I just told you. And it actually goes back a little bit further where in college, I decided to start a music blog and the music blog was not a success whatsoever, but learning how to create a website from scratch on WordPress was such a valuable skill. And when I wanted to create cultivated culture, I didn't have to go out and pay somebody. I didn't have to spend money. I didn't have to come up with wireframes and mockups and waste all this time having somebody else build it out. I could build it out and I could make all the updates in seconds myself. So that's exactly what I did when I wanted to share that article that I mentioned in the last answer. All I did was spin up a WordPress site, built it in about a day, put the blog posts on it, and then I was off to the races. So having these skills and being scrappy and being able to do things yourself when you're starting out is so, so, so important. And I would recommend that anybody 
try to learn those skills for themselves because that's just going to make you better able to run your online business as it grows. Having that knowledge is pretty much invaluable when you're creating online today. So Matt, I hope that was helpful. Thank you so much for your question. The next question comes from Borja, who's asking, which would you say are the most important skills to work on in order to master a powerful brand? So this is kind of the final question in this little mini series around brand building. But essentially what we're getting at here are the skills that are most important if you want to build your own brand. And for me, what this really comes down to are three specific skills. So that is selling, that is copywriting, and that is storytelling. Those are the three biggest skills that I think anybody can build in order to build their own brand, in order to build their own business, or in order to accelerate their trajectory in their career. So let's break down each of these and talk a little bit more about why they're so important. And we can start with selling. So pretty much everything in life is a sales process. If you are looking for a new job, the job search is a sales process. If you are looking to get a promotion, you are essentially selling your future value to somebody in hopes of them giving you a raise at your company. If you're looking to build a business, you are selling your product. If you're looking to build a personal brand, you are selling your message and your story. So many things that we do in life come down to sales and our ability to persuade other people to take an action that we want them to take. So even if you're not a salesperson, even if you have no desire to work in sales, I would highly recommend that you take some sales courses to learn the best practices and the basics of how to do this, because that's going to level up your life across the board. And if you're sitting in a field that isn't sales focused, you might sit here and say, well, Austin, why does this matter for me? I'm not in sales. Well, the truth is, Everybody else in your field is thinking that. So by going and becoming good at sales, you have now set yourself even further apart from everybody else in your field because there's almost no competition here. The bar is so low, people aren't willing to do this, that if you put a little bit of time, a little bit investment in this skill, you are going to stand head and shoulders above the crowd. So that is why learning how to sell is so important. It's going to impact everything that you do. The second skill that I mentioned is copywriting. Now, copywriting is so important because it basically combines the other two skills, selling and storytelling. And so much of what we do in today's world happens in writing, right? So if we think about the way we consume content and the way that we communicate, so much of it is virtual. You know, if you want a job, what do you do? You write a resume and you submit that resume. You write a cover letter and you submit that cover letter. If you want to build a personal brand, you write some LinkedIn posts, you write some blog posts. If you want to communicate with a colleague, you typically write a Slack message or you write an email. If you want to generate leads or if you're doing outbound sales, you're writing cold emails. If you're talking to a family member or friend, right, what are you doing? You're typically DMing them on social or you're texting them. So much of what we do in today's world happens in writing, but so many people don't even think about the impact that their writing has or the way that they can improve the impact that their writing has. And that's where copywriting comes into play. Copywriting is essentially a field that studies the impact that the written word has on other people's ability to take an action or our ability to persuade other people to take an action or do something. And the basis of this whole field, it was back in advertising when it originally started earlier last century. And writing was the main medium. You had magazines, you had newspapers, you had billboards. All of that was the major way that these companies could communicate with people. And so they spent a lot of time studying the impact that 
each of the words in their ads had, and then they created principles and concepts and strategies and frameworks around those, which are still used today. But the beautiful thing is the internet has given us so, so, so much more data that we can use to test those principles and validate those principles. And so what you're going to see out there if you start studying it now are basically the very best principles that are backed up by a ton of data. So copywriting is so important because once you understand the impact that your writing can have, once you work to improve it and to optimize it, you can be so much more effective in all of your communication communication, most of which is happening via writing and virtually. So that's the second skill. And then the third skill I learned is around storytelling. And the reason for that is because if you look at any great brand out there, any company that you look up to, any influencer or thought leader that you look up to, the reason that they have become so successful is because of their ability to tell stories. That's what it comes down to. And the data backs this up. We as humans are much, much more likely to internalize data when it's told to us in the form of a story than we are to internalize information that's just shown to us in you know a raw kind of boring format. And the reason for that is because stories are woven into the fabric of humanity. If you think all the way back to the early days, right? When, you know, there are cave people and Neanderthals, like how was history passed down? Passed down through stories, passed down through writings on the wall depicting these stories that that people are telling. And that's continued on throughout civilization. You know, once we got the ability to write, we wrote down those stories and, and things, you know, went to a different level. But even today, you know, when we talk to our friends, when we talk to our family members, what do we want to do? We want to tell them a story about something that happened to us today. That's something, something that happened in the world that was crazy, right? And we want to tell that in the form of a story because we innately know that that is a more compelling way to tell this. So if you invest in your ability to be a great storyteller, and then you also invest in your ability to be a great writer, you can combine the two and you can tell amazing stories through writing. And that's going to shine through on the resumes that you write, in the cover letters that you write, in the content that you write, in the emails that you write, in every single facet of written communication that you put out there. And so that is why it is the third most important skill for building a brand. So I would definitely recommend investing in those three things. Again, that's copywriting, selling, and storytelling. And if you can do all those things, you don't even have to be in the top 1%. If you can be in the top 25% in all three of those skills, you're going to be well on your way to creating a truly, truly amazing brand. And our last question comes from Jennifer, who's saying, you talk a lot about mental health. What is your favorite thing to do to relax and escape the laptop? So this is a great and timely question because mental health is something that I work on and I practice every single day. As an entrepreneur, there are a lot of ups and downs. There's a big roller coaster. I would definitely say that there's more stress than I had when I was working a full-time job, but I also wouldn't trade it because the upsides are amazing. The, the people that I meet, the flexibility I have in my schedule, the basically limitless earning potential that you have, all those things are so, so amazing that I wouldn't trade it. But I have to be very careful with my mental health and I have to specifically invest in it. And one thing that negatively impacted my mental health was actually a move that we made. So we used to live in the New York City area. We lived in Manhattan for a while. Then we moved to Jersey City, which was amazing. And then the pandemic hit and we also got pregnant with our, our little guy, Nolan, who's turning one soon, which is crazy. But we were both working from home. We had a baby on the way and the two bedroom apartment we were in was just too small. So we decided to move out to the suburbs and that was a really tough adjustment. You know, we're city people. We love walking everywhere. We love being able to go to a coffee shop that's a block away or a couple of amazing restaurants that are within a two, three minute walk versus having to get in the car and drive 10 minutes to the coffee shop and only having you know a couple of restaurants to choose from. So it was a tough adjustment. But one thing I'm, I've been able to do that I've always wanted to do for basically my entire adult life was to start gardening. So this summer, or rather this spring, I actually planted a bunch of vegetables. So we have right now four tomato plants, uh, two pepper plants, one jalapeno, one fresno. We have some kale, 
Uh, we have some different lettuces. We have a whole bunch of herbs. We have some cucumbers uh, and we have some beans that are, are coming up. So I have a whole garden that I put together and that has been my number one escape because it's so meditative. Like you go out there, you are looking over the plants, making sure, you know, there's no pests, no bugs, making sure they're healthy. You're watering them, you're pruning them, you're watching them grow. And it's not instant gratification, which is something that I kind of struggle with. Like I want to do things. I want to take action. I want to see the results as quickly as possible. And with gardening, especially vegetable gardening, you have to wait. Like the tomatoes, the plants have to grow. Then the tomatoes on there and they're green forever. And they finally ripen at the very end. And it's a really, really good practice in patience and press. So that's the big thing that I've been doing. And I'm so, so grateful for that because that's really been a a pillar for me uh, through a a time that was a little uncertain. And now uh, we're getting much more settled into the suburbs and the transition has gotten a lot better uh, and we're feeling much, much better than we were before. But having that thing to go do and to take your mind off of stuff that's not work is so critical for me, but also I think for everybody, because it's so easy to jump back into work as a way to distract ourselves from things that we may not want to deal with and things that we may not want to face right now. And it's so good to have something that's not work that allows you to also step away from work and take a break as well. So that is my favorite thing to do to relax and escape the laptop right now. Jennifer, thank you for asking that question. So that wraps it up for July's edition of Ask Austin Anything. But if you want to ask me a question to answer in the August episode, head to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. Drop your question in there. I'm going to read through a bunch of them, pick a few of them, and I'll answer them in next month's episode. Outside of that, thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the podcast. 